Hello, and welcome to the Cambridge Assessment Podcast. I'm Alana Walden, and I'm here to introduce the first of our remotely recorded podcast episodes. In September last year, we hosted our first Shape Education Conference in partnership with the Cambridge Judge Business School. The event brought together experts from around the world to ask, how is our society changing and what do we need education to deliver for that society? Just over six months on, nobody could have anticipated the enormous impact of the situation we're currently in. In this podcast episode, Michelle Favre and Mark Andrews from Cambridge Judge Business School and Dan Frost, a learning technology lead for Cambridge Assessment English, reflect on ideas that were discussed at the conference around the need to create the conditions in which schools can flourish and how COVID-19 may be shaping the future of education. Well, first, I think this is not a teacher bashing or school bashing talk I'm giving. Uh, I think we have to create the conditions in which schools are allowed to innovate. And that is not where we are now. Um, Schools are, I'll tell you a story. I gave a talk similar to this uh, at a conference organized by a friend of mine who's a head teacher. I was really proud of my talk. And I went up to her and I said, so what did you think? Like Tigger, you know, what did you think? And she said, "Um, it was great. So I said, so you're gonna do anything different as a result of it? She said, no. She said, I can't. She said, I can't take that risk. So they're an outstanding school. The money they get related to that measurement pays for the teacher's salaries. If she takes risks with that, and I'm serious, she's really serious about this. If she takes risks with that, she's risking people's salaries. It's survival. So first, let's take very seriously the conditions in which schools can flourish. That was Colleen McLaughlin, Director of Educational Innovation at the University of Cambridge Department for Education, speaking last September at the Shape Education Conference. I'm Michelle Faber from the Cambridge Judge Business School, and today I'm here with my colleague Mark Andrews, also from the Judge, and Dan Frost, who is a learning technology lead from Cambridge Assessment, um, who were involved in the inception of the Shape Conference. Um, So SHAPE was an event hosted by Cambridge Assessment English in partnership with the Cambridge Judge Business School, which brought together experts from around the world. So investors, policymakers, edtech specialists, entrepreneurs, teachers and learners to debate what changes in society are going to have the biggest impact on education. So Dan and Mark, we heard there how Colleen was voicing the concerns many of us have had in the education community Um, There's no shortage of wonderfully innovative educational research and development, but the conditions have not been conducive to applying those innovations. Um, The climate of education was too risk averse. Um, So now here we are six months on and we do have the conditions for innovation, but not in a way that any of us could have anticipated. Um, Our schools and universities in the UK have been closed for one month due to the COVID-19 outbreak and education's been shaken up considerably. So let's reflect on the conversation we had last September at SHAPE um, in light of the present situation. Um, Dan, perhaps you can start by telling us a bit of the backstory about SHAPE and how did SHAPE come about? What was the thinking behind it? Yeah, a few of us at Cambridge Assessment English have been in conversations over a year or so with Mark and some others at the Judge Business School and 
we are all trying to do innovative things. We're all seeing innovative things happening, but we're also seeing a lot of kind of same old things happening. Um, so what's done in the, you know, on paper in the real world, just plumped into digital and also seeing stats like 3% of education is digitized and anecdotally seeing things which just look a bit kind of janky and they could have been done better. And we, we started asking ourselves, how, how can we accelerate this change? Other industries are moving faster than education is, and there's a huge potential. And edu but education is so important because it's how we get humans ready to be part of society. So if we're only doing 3% of what we could be doing, not that we should digitize everything immediately, but if we're only doing part of what we're doing, how do we accelerate that? So we noticed that there were kind of silos of discussions happening. So at a policy conference, you would have policy people talking to each other. At an ed tech conference, you have ed tech people. And some of those ed tech people are not tackling much bigger problems, often, often less profitable problems. And you've got people in assessment thinking about just the assessment side of it. So we took a, we kind of noticed this and then we notice how modern product development is done it's done in a very cross-functional way because you because a decision is not made in silos you have to have the whole team behind you you have to have all the skills there so that was our kind of aha moment we thought right well how do we get all these people together last september was our first attempt it was our kind of mvp attempt at getting everyone together getting people like all the uh, the, the people that you described the teachers learners ed tech investors and so on putting them in a room and asking them a difficult question with the implication that they have the answer rather than us cambridge having the answer so that was our that was our starting point and yeah what we're seeing now is exactly what you're describing it's forcing the collaboration it's forcing everything to happen at breakneck speed um the interesting thing now is what we do with with that i think it's also worth saying as well that we when we initially came to the the idea that became shape that we um we came to it initially from perspective of um known technologies and ed tech um, but i think as we started to inquire more and more into this we realized obviously that this is a, a bigger system and that actually we did need to have this cross constituent um, membership for this um, kind of event to work and for this discussion to have kind of really lasting benefit. Okay, so one of the themes that came out of that discussion was about uncertainty of the future. So how can we prepare young people for a future that we don't know what's going to be? So um, Tim Oates was very vocal about that. So I'd like to play you a clip. Of him. We know that the future is really, really uncertain. Of course it is. It's the future. I mean, that's the point about the future. <laughs> it's uncertain because it hasn't happened yet. Now, I want to take that theme and really criticise some things about the assumptions that people have and the facts and figures that they give. The world has never changed so much. It's never been so uncertain. I can tell you. If you were in England in 1348, 30% of you would be dead the next year, okay? 30%, look around the room, 30% would be dead. We had two agricultural revolutions, we had an industrial revolution, there was far more social change, dislocation to lives, the economy, where people lived, what they did, their life expectancy during those periods 
than we are experiencing now. But I believe where we've really broken down is in responsible public policy and in public debate. I think this is a really interesting clip and I love it. In a way, I find it really reassuring in that, you know, it's almost saying we, we don't need, we, we can't expect it to have all of the answers now. But I think as a community, we need to come together to actually help work our way and find these answers. I totally agree with that. I think the current situation where we're all in lockdown and yet within like a few days, teachers have worked out however scrappily how to keep the lessons going and you know parents and kids at home are doing the same not with uniform success yes there's problems but this future that we're in the the future that was you know a few weeks ago we've made it ourselves and that's quite empowering this just speaks to the fact that we can build the future so, so this is where you're totally done. I mean, I, this is where I'm, I'm a big advocate of bottom-up innovation as a way of getting things done, this whole kind of skunk works mentality of um, bringing people together um, with the needs, with the, the kind of almost like the emotional connection with the problem to then work with people to find the solutions. Um, and I think if we're looking at how to innovate in, in this time, we're seeing this at the moment with you know, teachers working out how they can use various bits of technology to deliver their students at the moment. It's not usually because of some top-down kind of edict. A lot of this is people on the ground actually working out what's going to add value to their learners. But I think that's the time we have now. And I think we do need to go back to Colleen's comment a little bit where, you know, we, at the Shape event, we had a room full of people who were hungry for innovation from across the sectors. There were teachers, there were students, there were awarding bodies, all wanting it. Yet, under normal circumstances, it's, it's a system that's hard to innovate in. And I think Colleen gave us some of those answers by highlighting that, you know, it's a high stakes environment. We can't play around with students learning. You know, it's that that learner's one chance to to attain and we we can't play with that. Um, But the interesting thing about we can't play around with education uh, and the traditional ways of making sure that everything's going to work is that we had no time to do that in the current situation. And it will be interesting in retrospect to see what worked and what didn't but it'll also be interesting to see which bits of bottom-up innovation where people just had to solve it themselves did work and how can we capture that and keep that going it it's going to be exciting and interesting to see how the shape community can can model those kind of bottom-up innovations and get people working very rapidly together but with the respect of the learner so you're not just mucking around you're not you know, you, you care what the output is, but you also want to optimise really rapidly and you want to keep iterating. Yeah, I think Colleen's point was also that, you know, student achievement is is connected to school's finances and that that's been a barrier to, to risk taking in the past. And I feel like this this discourse is also connected to the need for an evidence base with educational research. So on the one hand, we want to have a rigorous evidence base for why we can be confident that what we're going to do will work. But at the same time, sometimes you don't know if it's going to work with your students in this context until you try it. And I think to come back to Mark's point about bottom-up innovation, I think sometimes, you know, even if you're applying Um, a new technology or a new teaching method or a new curriculum 
which has an evidence base, you still can't be certain that it's going to work. So I think that's something we really need to come back to in the educational community and think about you know, the, the relationship between educational researchers, institutions, teachers and policy um, in that way. I think we also need to acknowledge that when we do try to collaborate across disciplines and across sectors and across industries, it necessarily, it takes longer because we're using different um, terminology to talk about the same things. We need to take time to understand each other's perspective so that we can have a meaningful dialogue about it. So the great thing about SHAPE was that it, it gave us enough time, well, enough, it gave us a whole afternoon to really talk about these issues together, which, um, which is refreshing. And again, we've got to, we education industry, have got to always be learning what the users and the, the, the learners and teachers and so on expect, because otherwise we're in danger of thinking we know how, how they'll use this stuff, but we really don't. Yeah, we don't always know what the new possibilities are gonna be or how young people actually use the new tools that we give them. My niece was actually sharing her revision, her maths revision notes with her friend for her GCSEs using Snapchat. I said, well, how could you keep this? She says, well, I just make a screen grab. I said, well, you make a screen grab from Snapchat to share your maths revision notes with your friend. She's like, yeah, what's the problem with that? Um, but to make a more historical analogy, when movies, cinema was first invented, they would, they would film them in a theater so, so the camera would be static and set up in front of the theater stage um, and you would effectively be watching a play on film. And now what we're seeing with lecture capture is kind of like that because people think about their lecture as a performance in the same way. And then what we have on film is a film of a lecture, whereas actually film has much more capability than that. You can cut in scenes, you can go to different places. So there's a lot of capability that we're perhaps not using yet in terms of what these technologies can offer us. Yeah, yeah, and I think the way that they refer to that is the grammar of cinema. So when they started the right. technology of cinema, they hadn't learnt because they hadn't experimented with the technology. They didn't know what the grammar of cinema is. So in a way, this is coin a phrase or whatever um we haven't learned what the grammar of digital education is yet because we haven't done enough of the experiments we're only like 10 20 years into this so we're still you know filming things the way we would um so then the challenge to the industry is to is to learn that and to to share the practices and to to work together again isn't one of the key things as well is to change this paradigm a little bit as well to to lose the word digital education and just call it education and just take it as a given that actually technology has always played a role in education whether it be digital or analog technology and that actually we're just talking about education and how we move forward and implicit within that actually is going to be a role of some form of technology which is likely to be digital yeah the, the way I, I always think of technology is um it's technology until it's invisible. So I've got lights in this room, but you don't think of it as technology. Uh, you don't turn the electricity on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely. And 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 I, one of my favourite pictures is of um, uh, someone ironing, and the uh, this is from like hundred years ago. Uh, someone ironing, but then the iron is plugged into the light socket because we hadn't learned to install electricity into houses yet. So we're still at this sort of installation phase, and things are a bit clunky. But all it means is. You know, we can beat ourselves up about it, but back to the way we've reacted to the COVID situation, 
quite adaptable. We've just got to, in a, on occasion, force ourselves to, to change things. If we're thinking about how to do education in 2020, we need to be careful what organisational structures and ideas we carry over. If you get these people working together and you give them a bit more of a blank slate and say, just you know, leave, leave your business model and your role at the door, how would you solve this now? Which is effectively what we have with the present situation. It's not necessarily a blank slate, but certainly things have been shaken up to the extent that more we are we have to take more risks because we're already in we're already at risk. So yeah, yeah, you have no choice. Yeah, yeah. Before we wrap up, I wanted to bring up the elephant in the room, which is inequality, educational inequality. So. Obviously, historically, there's been a huge attainment gap that correlates with socioeconomic inequality. And the danger is that the, the present situation we have with COVID means that the, the children who traditionally will have done better will be doing so because they're in an environment that's conducive to learning and the children who wouldn't um, won't. And so how do we make sure that the, um, that the ed tech innovations that we're introducing to help um, remedy this situation is actually not exacerbating the situation, but helping to remedy it? So obviously, um, we don't have the answers, but it's something that we, we hope we can continue talking about this in future SHAPE events. Yeah, and I, I think, again, we don't have the answer, but you can imagine the answer being in lots of pockets of so policy and legislation obviously is going to have to correct where say some people have devices that are powerful enough to access this and some people have don't have those devices or don't have any devices then the edtech industry has got to build for those devices so it's got to come up with really good ways of having you know exciting highly graphical things but also that work on uh um less powerful devices, we've got to think about connectivity um, and that re it's reliable. So if we have an instance like this, again, um, that, that no one is left with a slightly dodgy broadband connection regardless of where they are. So again, it's not in, it's, it's not fixed in one place. There's lots of different pockets where you're going to have to fix this. Yeah. And also it's, it's not only about having access to the technology but how it's going to be used so some children will be using technology with help from home and others might be needing to do it more independently so we need to think about differentiating for those different groups of learners in this situation as well so i don't know how but let's think about it i think also there was a piece of work that i was, I was aware of um late last year really which was um, looking at a similar kind of issue in a different sector. So in this example, it was how can we enable uh, inmates within prisons to have access to technology with the right um, securities and things like that. Now, obviously, on their own, a prison service is not going to know, you know, how to do that. Um, and actually, I saw a nice piece of work where it was a collaboration between you know, some prisons and Google who were looking at how they could then customise their Chrome OS to actually provide secure ways of to give technology to prisoners in prison. Um, and that was a, a great piece of work. And um, I think if we look at that within um, education of how we can collaborate within 
in and outside of the sector um, to bring in new bits of technology, answer some of those questions that are, that are difficult and work together on actually how we can solve some of those issues to, to actually create um, meaningful technologies that actually further innovation and education. And I think this is where SHAPE does come in for education to do that. Exactly, Mark. So in your present example, they had to really think about the context in which that technology was going to be used and those specific constraints. And doing that sort of thing means that we need to have this joined up thinking that Dan is talking about, um, you know, between different sectors. So to wrap up, Tim Oates used uh, a good analogy of the electric car. He says the first, um, the first electric car was actually invented in the 1800s and imagine what would have happened if we if we adopted that technology instead of the internal combustion engine so his point being that we do have choices and the choices that we're making um, the paths that we choose to follow will have a big a big impact on the future of of education i think that's true now more than ever so we'd like to invite people to um to participate and to engage with the material that we already have. Yes, yeah, so if anyone wants to see uh, any of the talks that happened at last September's Shape Education Conference in Cambridge, uh, go to shapeeducation.org uh, and you'll be able to see the videos um, and a short summary video of, of the event that give you a sense of what the, the, the feeling in the room was. Uh, you'll also be able to sign up for the upcoming May 2020 virtual event um, you'll be able to to apply to that uh, and apply for future events that will be happening over the next few months great okay thank you dan okay. and mark yeah okay. and we'll see you again thank you for listening to the cambridge assessment podcast you can find all of our podcasts on our website just search podcast gallery or you can find us on youtube or wherever else you usually listen to your podcasts